good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. As Jeremiah mentioned, we're in a series that we're calling The King, and we're kind of working our way through some passages in Matthew's gospel, trying to understand a little more clearly who Jesus is and what he came to do. And one of the things that has come up numerous times is that Jesus came to make disciples. In fact, we've seen him making disciples through the entire gospel. And then at the end of the gospel, in the last chapter, he says, now you guys go and make disciples just like I've been making disciples. But that raises a question. How do you make a disciple? Well, if you read through Matthew, especially the last couple of weeks, as we've been doing, you've gotten some pretty good clues. A few weeks ago, uh, we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, and we would say one of the ways you make disciples is teach. There's content involved. You've got to think certain thoughts and not think other thoughts, and so teaching, preaching is involved. Not just that. Last week, we looked at a number of miracles, and that is actually love and service in action. Jesus leaves the sermon and comes and does acts of mercy and love and service. He's healing people. He's bringing people into what God intended them to experience. So there's teaching, there's service, there's love, and there's also stories. You say stories. His stories are all over the gospel. Uh, Jeremiah talked about stories related to hymns. Do you realize, though, Jesus loved to tell stories? In fact, uh, Jesus' stories are often called parables. And uh, we're going to look at some parables today from Matthew 13. There are actually seven parables in that chapter. And you did such a great job last week with five miracles. We're going to up the ante this week. You did five last week. We're going to do seven parables today. But the parables all are kind of about the same thing. But before we look at the parables and what they teach us about the kingdom of God, let's say uh, something about parables as we get started. How can we understand? Is there a parable primer we need? A primer about parables. How do we understand them and put them together? You know, parables can be confusing, they were actually even confusing in Jesus' day. Right in this chapter, Matthew 13, some of Jesus' disciples come up to him and ask him a question. Jesus, why do you teach in parables? Why don't you just get up and say it plainly? Why in the world do you tell these stories? He answers them and says this, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. That's kind of weird, isn't it? In a sense, Jesus says, I'm telling parables for two reasons. One reason is to conceal things. I don't want everybody to know. I want to conceal some things. In that regard, parables are not exactly the same as illustrations in a sermon. You know, whenever anybody speaks, they tell stories or give illustrations, hopefully to shed light on what they're talking about, to make something complex a little simpler. Jesus kind of reverses that and says, sometimes I tell people stories so they won't get it. I want to conceal it. That's kind of weird, right? But also, the same story is intended to reveal something. Something is concealed to those on the outside. Something is revealed to those on the inside. Jesus tells stories to change our perspective to those that are open-minded enough to rethink how they've been putting things together. But if you're so entrenched in the former way of thinking, if you're so entrenched into how it's always been told to you, the parable isn't going to make sense. It's going to be dense. Let me see if I can explain it this way. I had a church in New York City for like uh, seven years. The building that we wound up getting had a 
lots of stained glass windows. Some of you have been in churches that have stained glass windows. And on bright, sunny mornings, if we were in, in the church, the windows were, would almost light up. And they each depicted a story or a scene from the Bible. And so, you know, there was a story, you know, Jesus on the cross and a story over. I remember one, Jesus had a little lamb around his neck. And, and you know, it's, it, they're pictures in the windows. And when you were on the inside on a sunny day, it's almost like the windows lit up. And when the sermon got boring, you know, often people would look at the windows and give them something to do during the sermon. Well, we had an apartment that was behind the church. So uh, Kim and I would leave out the front door, and then we walked down the little alleyway between the church building to our apartment, and we walked past a lot of the stained glass windows, but now on the outside. You know, if you looked up at the stained glass windows from the outside, they were like gray and brown and black. You couldn't really see anything. On the inside, it was like they lit up with the stories and the scenes. On the outside, you could barely make out little pieces of cut glass Kind of like parables, right? Jesus says to those on the inside, I want your perspective, your imagination to light up and become bright as you think new thoughts. To those on the outside who refuse to put themselves in the story, it's just going to feel like same old, same old, not much new at all. Parables reveal and conceal at the same time. Now, these parables in this chapter, all seven, are about the kingdom of God. So let me say a word about the kingdom of God, and the parables will help explain it. Let me just say this. Jesus is king of the universe, always has been, always will be. There's that one aspect of the kingdom, the eternal kingdom. Jesus also comes to inaugurate, to bring the kingdom to earth. We've been reading about that in Matthew. And there is a sense in which when Jesus returns, the kingdom will be fully enacted. That's one of the reasons one of the reasons theologians talk a lot about the already and the not yet. Jesus has already brought and established the kingdom, but not yet do we experience in its full what the kingdom's like. Don't you feel that frustration? All right, we get a taste. We learn of what it should be. We're experiencing a little bit, but not yet do we get the whole deal. The already not yet, that's kingdom. All right, with that in mind, Turn to Matthew 13, either on your phone, on your iPad, whatever, and I'm going to read the seven parables. Don't get nervous. Most of them are short. I'm going to jump from parable to parable. I'll tell you when I jump. I'm going to start in Matthew 13, verse 1, a very familiar parable, the parable of the sower, and I'm going to read the other six parables as we go. Here we go. Verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came out, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Parable number one. Uh, jump over to verse 24. Another farming parable. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his, in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, 
Then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you were pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Verse 31, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jump down to verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went away and sold all that he had and bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, 47, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Seven parables, every one connected to the kingdom of God in one way or another. This kingdom that Jesus begins is beginning to grow, but will come in fullness one day. Now, I want to say just a word or two. Obviously, we can't work through each parable in detail. I'll say a word or two about each one, and then I got a couple lessons that'll tie all seven together. You know, it's important for us sometimes to link together what the authors link together because the lessons come in the mix of the stories rather than just in the sections. Every parable Jesus tells always has kind of a counterintuitive twist. Like, Something doesn't make sense. You scratch your head and say, what? Um, let me show you. The first parable is the parable of the sower. So here's a guy, a farmer, and he goes out indiscriminately throwing seeds everywhere, right? So he's probably got a bag of seed and he's just throwing it everywhere. Some of it falls on the road. Some of it falls on shallow, rocky soil. Some falls on soil that has a bunch of weeds. Other produ others produce a good crop. Um, you ever realize how dumb, like, is this a stupid farmer? Why in the world would the farmer take valuable seed and just indiscriminately throw it everywhere? I mean, if, if you're going to plant seeds in your garden this spring, do you throw a lot of seed on the driveway? Do you go out into the road and throw it? No. If, why didn't the guy plow the field before he put the seed in? Or back in that day, they would have put the seed in and then plowed. Why didn't he plow it after he threw the seed? Oh, yeah, wait a minute. The parable's not about a farmer. The parable's missed. It really shouldn't be about the farmer. What's the variable? The variable is the soil. Probably better name. This is a parable about soils. Some soil, hard. The seed can't penetrate. Other soil, shallow. Kind of germinates quickly, but then withers away when the sun comes out. Other seed, divided, has other interests. Weeds come up and choke it out. Some soil is good. 
In fact, Jesus tells us the meaning of this parable. I didn't read that part. You can read it later. Here's what Jesus says. The four soils represent four kinds of people. It seems to me Jesus is explaining in the beginning of Matthew 13 the response that we've been seeing to Jesus in chapters 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. People are, some people are just curious. Others are turning their backs and going away. Jesus says, yeah, let me tell you about these people. Some people have really hard hearts. You know, God speaks to them. The gospel comes and it can't really penetrate their hard hearts. It doesn't germinate, can't take root. Other people, you know, the gospel seems to take root. The message comes. It seems to have a little bit of life, but boy, it doesn't last long as soon as the sun comes up. Other people are so divided in their interests, priorities, and values that those other, the other competition chokes out what God wants to do in these people's lives. But there are some people who the gospel enters their lives. The seed germinates, it grows, and they produce a crop 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. And then he who has ears, let him hear. Something Jesus wants us to do with every parable, think, right? Stories cause us to think and we kind of ruminate on it. We wrestle in our heads. Here's what Jesus is saying to us. What kind of heart do you have? You have a hard heart? I didn't ask you how many times you go to church. I didn't ask you how many times you watch online. Do you have a heart where what God says and what God wants can't even enter? Do you have a heart that's kind of shallow? Do you have a heart with lots of other interests and priorities where, you know, what God says is quickly drowned out or choked out by other things? Or do you have a heart that really is producing change? That's the first one. Second parable is about farming again. This time we got a guy, he goes out and scatters seed again. We're not exactly sure all the soils. But then his enemy goes out and he scatters weeds. I don't know about you. I don't have to plant weeds in my yard. Um, kind of happened naturally. But there's an enemy out there. He scatters weeds. And the servants come in and say, boy, we got a problem here. Um, weeds and you know, wheat are growing together. Do you want us to go weed? No, 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 don't weed. We'll take care of that at the end. Do you weed in your garden? Why won't he send the guys out to weed? The, the plants are not going to grow as they should grow because the weeds are taking some of the nourishment. The weeds are getting some of the sun. Getting kind of strange, right? There is an enemy, and we don't live life on a neutral field. There's good, there's bad, there's God, and there's an enemy, and we live between them. We live in a world where good things are sown and bad things are sown. The kingdom has competition. Well, the next parable uh, is a parable about a mustard seed. Tiny little, I, I don't know much about seeds. Uh, yeah, everybody says, well, it's not really, you know, the small, it was just tiny seed, all right? Um, but here's how the seed works. You take this little mustard seed, you plant it in the, in the garden or in the yard, and it grows into a pretty big bush. And if you don't trim it, it gets real big so that even can, birds can nest in it. Do farmers like birds? They eat the seed that gets planted. They make a mess in the field. Why would this guy want a mustard tree growing in his garden? I, I don't know. That's another crazy thing about the story. But what, what do we learn about the kingdom? It grows from something insignificant to something big. Now, remember, most people in Jesus' day, most Jews in Jesus' day, were waiting for the kingdom, waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the king to come. And he will come with great force in a big event, smash the Romans 
right? In a cataclysmic victory. Jesus says, no, 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 that's not how the kingdom goes. My kingdom starts as an insignificant little nothing. It gets planted, but make no mistake. My kingdom grows and grows and grows. Not as the expectations are say, it's completely different. The next parable about yeast is kind of the same as the mustard seed. Um, I'm not much of a baker, just like I'm not much of a gardener, but I do know this. If I have some yeast and I mix it into 60 pounds of dough, the yeast will not stay in one little corner of the dough, right? You can't say, well, I want this part leaven, so I'll work it over here, but the rest of the loaf will be... No, no, no. The yeast will somehow work its way through all of the dough to get... It's crazy, right? You can't see it. Again, imperceptible, but it's growing on the inside. It's having an influence. It starts out insignificant, but pretty soon it leavens the whole 60 pounds of bread and the village eats. Here's the weird thing with this one. You check this out. Almost always, yeast is a negative picture in the New Testament. Yeast is usually the picture for sin, evil. Why in the world would Jesus use a common picture for sin and use it positively for, I don't know, parables are crazy. And he tells another parable. The next parable is like a treasure hidden in a field. Look, I don't know how this guy, you know, somehow he was checking out the field. He found out there was a hidden treasure in the field. You know, did he sneak on at night? Did he have one of those things, those mind-sweeping things they do on the beach? He found the treasure in the field. He goes and sells all that he has to buy the field. Do you think that would have raised anybody's suspicions if this guy empties his bank account, you know, cashes out his 401k, takes every penny he owns to buy a field? Don't you think the owner would have become a little suspicious? How are you going to pay to farm the field? You bought the field with your money. Is there something in my field I should know about? I I don't know. It's a crazy story. But there's something really valuable in the field. And whatever the valuable item in the field is, it's worth everything else he has. But here's another one. Here's a pearl merchant, buys pearls. All of a sudden, he discovers a pearl of super value. He sells everything he has, sells all the other pearls, so he can buy the one pearl. I I guess this guy didn't hear about diversification, right? Um, Think about it. He puts all of his resources into one entity. So now if the thief steals the one pearl, he loses it all. If he had a whole bunch of pearls, he could steal one or two and still have. He puts all of his resources into one egg, one basket. I don't know. But the point is, this kingdom that is represented by the pearl is worth uh, everything else we have. It's worth any and every sacrifice, any price we could pay. Then their last parable is about a net, somebody going fishing. And he lets down his net and hauls in all kinds of it. Now, this parable is an awful lot like the weeds, right? The wheat and the weeds, kind of similar to that one. Pulls it in and, you know, since they weren't very discriminating in what they caught, they had lots of good fish in the net you can eat, lots of nasty fish you don't want to eat. What do they do? They don't throw the bad fish back. They bring the whole net to shore. It seems like it'd be extra work to me. I'd want to get rid of them out there and not have to carry it away. But they bring them all in. They separate them on the shore. The good fish get put in baskets. The bad fish get destroyed, right? Huh. Seven crazy stories. 
we could ask questions that Jesus doesn't answer about every one of them. But let's not wrestle with the questions we can't answer. Let's look at three themes that are right there for all to see. And these three themes are the reason I wanted to look at all seven together. Because I think Jesus, Matthew, puts these seven stories together to teach us at least these three things. Here's the first one. The stories are all about growth. Did you notice that? The seeds in the, in the first parable, the seeds go in the ground, and the good soils produce growth, and the seeds grow and grow and grow, producing a crop 30, 60, 100 fold. The wheat in the field is growing. The yeast is growing in the dough. The bush, the mustard tree is growing. Growth is all over this chapter. And here's what Jesus is saying. My kingdom may start insignificant. It may start just like a seed, just like yeast. It may start incidental, like a little mustard seed, but make no mistake, my kingdom, when it's planted, will germinate, will grow until it takes over. You know something? We see the truth of this parable by just looking at history. The Roman Empire was the empire that was ruling in Jesus' day. The Roman Empire hasn't been around for 1,500 years. Jesus' kingdom's still around. In fact, Jesus' kingdom has more people and has been around longer than any other kingdom human history has ever known. But that's not the only part of growth. You see, healthy things grow, right? You have a baby, you expect the baby to grow physically, you expect the baby to grow relationally. You have a pet, hopefully, eventually the pet will be house trained. You expect things to grow and to develop, to mature. But it's not just on the grand scale. Jesus says, the kingdom is also small scale. How's the kingdom growing in you? Isn't that the parable of the first story? How are you doing? Has the seed germinated in you? Is it growing? Are you maturing? Growth. Growth is expected. Growth is normal. Growth will occur. That's the point. All, all the parables about something growing. Jesus' kingdom grows and grows. Is it growing in you? It is growing. Is it growing in you? And if not, what are the impediments? Which soil are you? And what changes may need to happen in you to become that good soil producing 30, 60, 100? Huh, read yourself in the story. Here's the second one, justice. Yeah, sad to say, um, there is judgment in the Bible. And I remember reading a, a book a while ago that said, you know, if you're reading the Bible and all of a sudden you really don't like God's judgment, you better get used to it or you better stop reading the Bible because God's judgment's all over the Bible. There's a flood. There are nations that get destroyed. In the end, there's heaven and there's hell. There is judgment in the Bible. Why does judgment when it comes to God get a bad name? In our world, judges are called justices. Well, Jesus, the ultimate judge, he's the ultimate justice. What should justices be doing? Bringing justice. What's judgment? Justice. I don't know about you, when you watch the news, whether you read the paper, you go online, when you see the mess that our world, you see a broken world. Doesn't something inside of you long for things to be made right? That's justice. Why do you think movies of justice and even vigilantism, why do they in some ways make us feel good? 
because we long for that. So the other night, Kim and I watched Act of Violence. At least I watched it. She couldn't watch it. It was kind of bloody, and yeah, it, it was good, actually. Acts of, Acts of Violence. But you know what? By the end of the movie, the uh, sex trafficker, drug dealer, kidnapper, murderer, he gets his. And I'll tell you, it felt good. That, I'm not saying it's right. <laughs> That there's a sense in which we long for justice, right? We long for this broken world to be made right. That's justice. And Jesus says uh, in these stories, justice is coming. It's coming. Um, the weeds and the wheat are growing together. Justice is coming. All the fish are in the net together. Justice is coming. Don't be lulled into complacency or to lose hope because you don't see it today. Justice is coming. And one last thing, gain. Do you notice there's great gain in the gospel? The gospel's like a treasure in a field that's more valuable than any payment we could ever make. The kingdom of God, Jesus' kingdom, is like a pearl of insurmountable value. We could never pay for it. We could never earn it up. It's worth everything and anything. It's our gain that we've done nothing to earn. Jesus earns it, gives it to us. Gift. The gain is a gift. It's not something that's deserved. I encourage you to read the parables in this chapter. There's obviously a lot more there. But the three things I think Jesus wants us to get, and the reason why Matthew may put them together, he wants us to, to learn this. Yeah, the kingdom of Jesus may have started insignificantly, but make no mistake, it's growing. Justice is coming and will be seen to be done. And those that receive the gift of citizenship in the kingdom, it comes by grace. And the gain is ultimate and eternal. The kingdom of Jesus. Well, we're going to celebrate communion this morning. And it's not a coincidence, I don't think that we celebrate communion the morning we look at these seven stories. Think of it this way. It's a time for examination. So maybe as we come, whether you're at home and you're getting your, uh, your elements, or maybe you're sitting here and if you have them, you can take them out now, or you can raise your hand and the ushers or somebody will get you one. When you take them, Ask yourself that question of examination. Which soil am I and what evidence is there? Are you hard-hearted? Is your faith shallow? Is there too many areas of compromise in your life? Or is the gospel producing that 30, 60, 100 crop in you? Ask yourself honestly. Justice is coming. And there's no place like communion to say. And the justice that we deserved, Jesus took. So we get his gain in spite of what we owe. Growth, justice, gain. Three themes of the gospel. Three themes of the stories in Matthew 13. I'm going to pray. You can, when you feel ready, you think about those three questions. You can take communion when you want. The band will come out and lead us in a couple songs as we close. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for these uh, seven stories.
that at first may not make sense and we can have lots of questions that we can't answer. We wonder how they fit together and we kind of scratch our heads. But Lord, if we just look at the central idea, if we step into that cathedral and allow the light to shine through, we see that the kingdom is a kingdom that is growing, has grown, and should be growing in us. The kingdom brings justice. Justice was purchased at the cross for us. And justice will be seen to be done for all and by all at the end. And Lord, help us to never get over the fact that all of the gospel gained to us was paid for by Jesus and the price he paid. We pray in his name.